So uh, today we wrap up this whole conversation about the future of faith. And if you haven't been here, we've been talking about how the church in America, it's getting smaller and it's growing older. It's getting smaller and it's growing older. And that the younger the generation is, the less Christian that generation is. And the reason that I want you to know that and I want you to remember that is not to be an alarmist or uh, to be some type of person that says, hey, you know, the glass is half empty. But I think the numbers pull back the curtain and show us what was happening in real time that we couldn't see when it was actually happening. Uh, that the numbers show us that once upon a time, there was a time when some families and some churches failed to pass faith on to the next generation. And we couldn't see it happening in the moment. We couldn't see it happening in real time. Uh, the church didn't notice and, and the family didn't notice, but there was a failure to pass faith on to the future generation. And now we're seeing that play out statistically. And, and the reason we're talking about this, we don't want this to happen here. We don't want it to happen in our families. I don't want it to happen in my family. I don't want it to happen in your family. I don't want it to happen in our churches. And so I want all of us, regardless of our age and regardless of our season of life to be interested in and invested in influencing the future and specifically influencing the future of faith because the scriptures are clear about this. Here, here's what the scriptures teach us. The scripture says that the present generation of faith is to take responsibility for the future faith of the next generation. That's what the scriptures teach us, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So just so that we can get this in our heart and we can get this in our mind, let's all, let's all just say this together at all of our churches. The present generation of faith is to take responsibility for the future faith of the next generation. There's no question that this is what the scripture teaches to families and to the local church. The only question is, are we gonna take it seriously? The only question is mom, dad, will you take it seriously? Grandmother, grandfather, the only question that's outstanding is, are you gonna take this seriously? And for those of you who call the Creek Church your church, the only question is, are we going to continue to take this seriously? Are we gonna do, are, are we gonna be willing to do whatever it takes, really? Are, are we gonna be willing to let go of what we need to let go of and to keep holding on to what we need to hold on to? Are we gonna be willing to change, to tweak, are we going to be willing to commit to a course that we believe is best in order to further faith into the next generation? Are we really going to take responsibility in our families and in our church for the future faith of the next generation? And that's the only question. Are we going to take it seriously? Are we going to walk by faith in such a way in our generation that we get to influence the faith of the next generation? That's the question. And that's why we're talking about it in this series. One day, Jesus, he was preaching and teaching, and they were asking him question after question, and so it was a little bit of Q&A, and, and Jesus was, you know, just teaching, and, and specifically on one particular day, he was teaching about the end of the age. He was talking about the coming of the kingdom, when God's kingdom would be fully realized, and, and the heavens and the earth would be remade, and here on earth, righteousness and justice would be reigning supreme, and that everything that was wrong with the world and everything that was wrong with the cosmos would be made right. And so he was talking about this future day in the kingdom. And, and as he was talking about this, Jesus asked what I think is one of his most intriguing and one of his most provocative questions. It's really a disturbing question when we actually slow down enough to think about it. And so as Jesus talked about the future of the age and when he talked about his second return, you know, Christians call it the second return of Christ. When he talked about the future coming kingdom of God, when he would return to the earth for the second time, here's, here's the question that Jesus asked. When the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So Jesus' question 
was literally about the future of faith. Jesus talks about the coming kingdom of God and he says one day when the Son of Man comes again, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find a group of people who are ordering their life around their faith? Will he find families? Will he find churches that are ordering their life around the truth of God? Finding people who are living and expressing the love of God. Will he find people who are walking by faith, who are obeying the teachings of their Savior and their Lord? And that's what Jesus wanted everybody to think about for just a moment. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And of course, we know that the ultimate answer is kind of a give me answer. Yes, he will find faith on the earth because Jesus would also say at another time and place that I'm going to build my church. And if he's going to continue to build his church until the end of the age, of course there's going to be faith. But that was not Jesus' point. The point was not to give us an easy question that had an easy answer and for us to say, yeah, he's going to find faith on the earth. Jesus wanted us to think about this because one of the things that's lacking in the 21st century is thoughtful Christianity, Christians who think. Jesus wants us to think about this question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Well, of course, the answer is yes, but I think that Jesus wants us to think about it and understand that he's leading us in the direction of saying, well, what type of faith will he find on the earth? And how much faith will he find on the earth? But even beyond that, I think the part that gets disturbing and the part that kind of ruffles our feathers a little bit and gets into our business is when this question becomes personal because this is just not a universal question. Will there be faith on the earth? This is just not a global question. This is a personal question. And here's what I think Jesus wants us to actually hear in this question. When Jesus returns, will there be faith in my family? That's where it gets personal. This is where I get interested. This is where I want to be invested because if I want the answer to be yes, I want there to be faith in my family when Jesus comes again, whether that's next year, next decade, three centuries from now. If I want the answer to be yes, I want faith to be found in my family when Jesus comes again, then that begins to inform how I live my life today. That begins to inform how I engage my family today because even more specific and even more personal, when Jesus returns, will there be faith in the lives of my children, grandchildren, or great-grandchildren? And again, if I want the answer to be yes, if I want when Jesus comes again for faith to be in my children's life or grandchildren or great-grandchildren or great-great-grandchildren, if I want the answer to be yes then, then it begins to inform the way that I need to live my life now. It begins to inform the way that I want to raise my children. It begins to inform the culture that I want inside my home. It begins to inform the way that we spend our time and what we're willing to do or not willing to do. When Jesus comes again, will there be faith in the life of my children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren? Well, if I want the answer to be yes, then that tells me a lot about what I need to be doing today. Or even this, when Jesus returns, will there be faith in my church? Or will the Creek Church be like a lot of churches and they decline and they don't care that they're in decline? And they're in decline and they're not willing to change and they're not willing to tweak and they're not willing to do what is necessary in order to reach those who have yet to come to faith in Jesus. And so we just put our hands in the sand and we pretend that everything's okay as so many others have in different corners and circles of our country. And we just continue to decline until the day comes that we shut the door and foreclosure signs go up and we sell everything off and the church is no longer in existence. When Jesus returns, do we want there to be faith in the Creek Church? Do we want there to be a Creek Church? If we want the answer to be yes, then it tells us a little bit about what we need to be doing now. 
And I think this is what Jesus is trying to get us to think about. And most personal of all, when Jesus returns, will there be faith in my heart? If Jesus were to return tomorrow, or if Jesus were to return this evening, or if Jesus were to return next month, am I where I need to be in my faith? Am I ordering my life around the teachings of Jesus? Am I ordering my life and organizing my life around the teachings of Scripture? And if the answer is no, but I want the answer to be yes, then that informs some decisions that I need to make today. If I'm doing my best to walk by faith, if I'm doing my best to organize my life and my family and my marriage and my finances and everything around the truth that God has delivered to all of us, if I'm doing my best to do that today and I want the answer to continue to be yes in the future, then that lets me know what I need to continue to do. And so Jesus' question is much more than just will there be faith on the earth, but it's what type of faith will be on the earth and how much faith will be on the earth and will it be in your family and will it be your children and will it be our church and will it be inside of you? See, his question I think was meant to inspire us all to live with faith, walk by faith, look to the future in faith, believing that what we, to do, what we do today echoes into future generations, even as we notice into the third or fourth generation. Moses, uh, the leader of you know, Israel, he, he rescued them out of Egypt and you know, delivered them out of slavery. And then he, he pastured them for 40 years in the wilderness. And, and you can read all about that in the book of Exodus. But at the end of his life, when he was getting ready to hand over his leadership to the future of faith, and his name was Joshua, but before he handed off the baton to Joshua, he, he got the nation together, all the leaders and all the families and all the individuals and the single people and the married people and you know, the teenagers and the adults. And he got everybody together and, and he gave his one last sermon, his last hurrah. And it's recorded for us in the book of Deuteronomy. And I'm just telling you, it is a long sermon. You think I'm long-winded? <laughs> Talk to Moses. I, I mean, it was long. And I guess when you figure this is the last one, you just, you just throw everything out there. And so he brought everybody together and he got towards the end of the sermon and he said, hey, today, Today you have a choice because this is important. God always gives us the choice. That's what he's done since, since the garden. He, he put our first parents in the garden and said, hey, you have the choice to do what you want to do. And he says to every generation after that, you have the choice to do what you want to do. And Moses says, today you have a choice. And I put before you two choices and two choices only. Life and death. And then what does Moses say? You've heard this before. Choose life because it's your choice. And it's crazy, we think it's not true, but we know it's true. We could give our own stories, our own testimony from our marriage, from our family, from you know, all, the, all that we've been involved in. Too often we choose death. We choose death more times than we ever should ever think about choosing death. And so he says the obvious, but it's not always so obvious. He says, I want you to understand you have a choice between life and death, choose life. And then what did he say? So that it goes well with you. But that's not all he said so that it goes well with you and your descendants. Because the idea being, the choices we make today can have profound consequences tomorrow. We all know this. We all understand this. We just don't live with this understanding in mind. The choices that you make today as a mom or as a dad, as a single dad, a single mom, as a married couple, as a single person, as a college student, as a middle school student, a high school student, you know, senior adult, retired, whatever your season of life is, the choices that you make today, they have consequences tomorrow. But here's the great encouraging thing. Moses didn't talk to him about yesterday. He didn't talk to him about all the bad choices yesterday. He just said today. So forget the fact that in the past you may have chosen death. 
Forget about the fact that once upon a time in a failed marriage, you chose death. Forget about once upon a time that in parenting, you may have chose death a few times. You have today. There's grace for yesterday, but there's a choice to be made today. And today you have the choice of life and death and the message is still the same. Choose life so that it goes well with you and your descendants because what you choose today has consequences tomorrow. It may not feel like it in the moment. It may not look like it in the moment, but your choices today have consequences tomorrow. And so we choose life and when we choose life, we walk by faith. We live with faith. We look to the future in faith. We order our lives around the teachings of Jesus and the teaching of scripture. We let faith begin to inform how we raise our children. We don't let culture dictate how we raise our children. We raise our children informed by our Christian faith. We understand we have responsibilities as mothers and fathers as it relates to the future faith of the next generation being our sons and daughters. And we take that seriously. We feel that. We order our lives around it. That means that we don't do some things that other families may do. And we may not be as busy as some other families are comfortable being. And we may say no to our kids about some things that other families say yes to their kids about. But you know what? We're not playing by their rules and we're not playing by culture standards. We are playing informed by our faith. It means your friendships, your relationships, your marriage, the way you engage one another as husband and wife. It means how you're single and you date and how you're maybe perhaps looking to get married one day. All of that is informed by your faith. The way you spend your money, the way you save your money, the way you invest your money, informed by faith. That's what it means to choose life. And sometimes all of that's not sexy. And sometimes all of that's not fun and it's not easy and it's not simple. But it's choosing life today so that it makes a difference tomorrow. So the question is, what does it look like, you know, to, to have this life of walking by faith and living with faith and looking to the future in faith? You know, what is faith to begin with? Well, here's what the writer of Hebrews said. He said, now faith, you've heard this a million times. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. So that's faith. So what is faith? If we're gonna organize our lives around faith, what is faith? Well, let me tell you what faith is. Here, here's some thoughts to think about. Faith is believing God is who he says he is. That's, that's where it has to start. It, it always begins with God. I, I'm not gonna believe God is who I want God to be. I'm not gonna make God into the image of God that I want him to be. I'm not gonna craft a theology of God that suits my own desires and my own pleasures and my own predispositions. I, I don't wanna do that. I can't do that. I'm not going to believe that God is who culture says he is or who somebody else says he is. I want to believe, first of all, God is who he says he is. When God says I'm merciful and gracious, I want to believe that. And I want to live my life ordered around that. That God is merciful. He doesn't give me what I deserve. He's gracious. He gives me what I do not deserve. When God says I'm loving and I'm forgiving and I'm long-suffering, I want to believe that. I want to hold on to that. Because God says that's who I am. And when he says, fear not, I'm with you. Even when things are bad, I'm with you. I want to hold on to that. That's what faith does. I order my life around that idea. When he says from eternity to eternity, I am God. No one can remove you out of my hand and no one can undo in your life what I have done in your life. I want to hold on to that. When God says, I'm your refuge, I'm your rock, I'm your portion, I'm your peace. When God says, I am the answer for your life, for what's missing, I want to hold on to that. That's what faith does. And then I begin to build and organize my life, my entire life around that. What is faith? Faith is believing that what God says is right is best. Not easy. 
It doesn't may not line up with my desire or what I want to be right for me. And it's not what's right for me and what's right for you. No, what God says is right is best for you. And what God says is right is best for me because here's how sin works. You can't sin. Well, first of all, let me say this. You can't get to make up what sin is and what sin isn't. That's a God thing. And when God says there's something that's sin, you can't sin and it not hurt you. And you can't sin and it not hurt those around you that you care most about. So the idea of faith is I believe that what God says is right is best. I may not like it. It may not be comfortable for me. It may be the most painful thing that I have to deal with. But if God says it's right, I have to believe by faith that it is what's best for me and it's what's best for those around me. That's what it means to live by faith. Faith is believing that God will do what he promises he will do. That's what faith does. When he says you're in a bad place, but I'm going to bring good out of it. You believe that promise. When he says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. You hold on to that promise. You hold on to what God says he will do because you believe with all of your heart that he will do it. That's what faith does. And then you live your life ordered around that belief. Faith is obeying when you don't want to. Can, I, can, we, can we please just get honest, put all the cards on the table and I'll go first and I'll say, you know what? There's a lot of time this Christian, I just don't want to do what I know God wants me to do. Can I get a witness? Three people, three people. The rest of you overly sanctified, sanctimonious Pharisees, feel free to come get a microphone and come up here and show us how it's done because we're all gonna get a notepad and sit in our seats and we're gonna take notes. And let me tell you what we're gonna be writing. Liar, liar, pants on fire. There's things that I don't wanna do that God has been very clear about. You know what I love about Christians? Not a lot, no, I do, I'm kidding. Let me tell you what I love about Christians. Here's some of the things we do, and it's just totally acceptable. It's just totally normal. I know I shouldn't say this, but, well then flip and don't say it. How about that? You know, I know I shouldn't do this, but, are you listening to yourself? Life and death, I know I should choose life, but, what the heck? I, I know I shouldn't say it. I, I know I shouldn't behave that way. I know I shouldn't go. I, I know, I know, but. Christians have some of the biggest butts in all the world. <laughs> what is faith? Faith is staying in when it would be easier to drop out. One of the easiest things you'll ever do as a Christian is quit. To walk away. Walk away from family. Walk away from marriage. Walk away from kids. Walk away from the local church. Walk away from faith. Walk away when it gets tough. Walk away when it gets uncomfortable. Walk away when it didn't go your way. Walk away, walk away, walk away. And you'll find justification to do it. You'll find rationalization to do it. And if you look hard enough, you'll spiritualize it. And you'll blame God for your quitting. You know what faith does? Faith stays in even when it's easier to walk away. That's what faith does. You stay in. Why are you staying in? Because you have faith. Faith is organizing your life around who God is and what God has said. That's it. This is who God is and this is what he says. And we're going to build our lives on that. And we're going to order our lives around that. And so the writer says, this, this, this whole idea of faith, this is what the ancients were committed for. This is why we celebrate the heroes of faith. It's not their achievement. It's not their resume. It's not their giftedness necessarily. It was their faith. The thing that created a context for their life becoming bigger than their lifetime. The thing that created a context for their faith being bigger than their generation was faith. 
They believed that faith would be worth it in the end. It didn't always feel worth it in the moment. But they believed that faith would be worth it in the end. That if they did the right thing, if they did the hard thing, if they did the uncomfortable thing, if they stayed in when it was easier to quit, they knew and they believed with confidence that it would be worth it. And that God would work through their faithfulness to accomplish good in their life and accomplish good for other people's lives. He says, this is what we celebrate. And then he goes on to say this. He says, and by faith, by faith, by faith, we understand the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And he says, hey, let's just start with 101 faith. When you have faith, you see the world differently. You understand that God is responsible for the heavens and the earth, that God is the creator. And if God is the uh, creator, then we are the creature. And so what that means is God is God and I am not. Let's all just say that out loud together. God is God and I am not. I don't get to play by my own rules. You don't get to play by your own rules. We don't get to march to the beat of our own drum because I am creature, he is creator. He's the one who spoke it into existence. He's the all-powerful one, I'm not. He's the all-knowing one, I'm not. So when I believe that he's in charge and I believe that he's God and I'm not, it informs how I live my life. And so he goes on, he says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards, he's a rewarder, those who earnestly seek him. And let me just say this, the reward may not be what you think it is. And the reward may not be what you want it to be. But here's what he's saying. When you organize your life around your Christian faith, it will be worth it in the end. And it will accomplish what God wanted to do with it in the end. And you may not even get the reward in real time, but the reward will be that it was worth it. When you made the tough choice, when you did the things as a family that you know you're supposed to do that wasn't popular, it's not easy, it's not convenient, it caused a little friction at home, it caused the kids to get a little bit dramatic, but you believed as a mom, you believed as a dad that it's going to be worth it someday. Choices today have consequences tomorrow. And then one day when you find out, and it may be over on the other side of eternity, when God pulls back the curtain and he lets you see just how worth it it was. When he shows you what you prevented, when he shows you what you were able to detour, when he shows you the difference of what you decided to do and how it had profound impact, not only in your life, but in the lives of other people that you didn't even know about. You'll say to yourself in that moment, it was worth it. It was worth it. It worked and it was worth it. And so this is what he does. You know, he's preaching. I mean, he's going, he's going hard on this idea of faith. And, and then he reaches back to the Old Testament. He gets all these, you know, Old Testament heroes, these men and women. And he tells the story about Abel. And, you know, he says, hey, you know, Cain and Abel, they were the first brothers. And, and Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice to God because it was rooted in faith. And so he offered God his best because when you walk by faith, you don't give God your leftovers. And when you walk by faith, you just don't give God, you know, the things that you don't care about anymore, or the things you don't want or what's convenient. No, when you walk by faith, you give God your best, your best life, your best effort, your best energy, your best. He says, that's what it means. And so he's given all these examples of what it means to walk by faith. And, you know, he talks about Abel and he talks about Enoch and he talks about Noah, right? Noah, remember that, you know, from Sunday school and, and God came to Noah and says, hey, Noah, get ready. It's going to rain. He's like, 
rain, what's rain? It never rained before. And he said, okay, you know, but it's, just work with me. And God says, okay, uh, it's going to rain, so I need you to build a boat. And I was like, hold on, second question, what's a boat? And he's like, would you just shut up? I will tell you what you need to know in a minute. And so here's Noah. He believes God. He's never seen it rain. So, you know, here's it's going to rain. And then he builds a boat. Now, imagine, because they were human, you know, imagine how embarrassed his sons were probably of him in the early days. Hey, Noah's kids. Is your dad, has he lost his mind? But listen to me, parents. You know what Noah can teach a parent about walking by faith? He was the parent and they were the children. And even if they decided to be embarrassed by his faithfulness, he cared more about his faithfulness than he did his children's embarrassment. Thank you all seven single people without children. He cared more about his faithfulness than he did the embarrassment of his children. And you may not like it, but I don't care. That's what walking by faith means. It means that you do what you know God wants you to do. And if it means that you have to say no to some things that other parents are saying yes to and you're afraid that your kid's gonna get pointed out and be embarrassed by it, and they may even say, Dad, Mom, I'm embarrassed, what's the big deal? I'm not gonna be this, I'm not gonna be that. Nobody, you understand that one day it will be worth it. And you believe that God will use you doing the best thing, which is the right thing, and that one day God's gonna, let me tell you, they weren't embarrassed when they were on the boat and the rain started falling. They were like, who's got the best daddy in the world? Well, matter of fact, who's got the only daddy in the world right now? <laughs> I said that in the first service and I apologized. And then here I came right back and said it in the second service. <laughs> There's a pleasure in sin for a season. I shouldn't have said that, but it's true. I mean, I mean, it, 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 if we're to believe the story of Noah, he teaches us a lot. Abraham, Abraham, I want you to leave home. Okay, God. Where are we going? Well, I'm not going to tell you until you get there. So for all of us modern day sophisticates uh, of, of wanting faith to have all the coordinates mapped out for us ahead of time and to know the end game and to know the plan and to know the strategy and to have the syllabus and to have the portfolio and to have the, you know, the presentation ready to go on a moment's notice to say, okay, well, this is where we're going and this is what we're going to do. For those who want all of those answers, Abraham says, let me tell you, walking by faith sometimes is taking a step and you have no idea where you're going. So that's against rational thought. Well, sometimes God isn't really captive by our rational thought. Matter of fact, God's whole rational thought is much higher than our rational thought. He knows more than we know, sees more than we see, hears more than we see. He sees the beginning and the end. I'm telling you, he knows more. So sometimes we can just trust him with that. His wife, Sarah, you know, believed that she was going to have a baby even old age. And he just, man, I could just stay all day. He goes through all of these, Isaac and Jacob and, and, you know, Samson and Gideon and David and Barak and all of these people. But here's what he says. He throws us a curveball. He gives us all of those examples. He says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. It's like, okay. They did not receive the things promised. What? Hold on, time out. I thought that God does what God promises he will do. He does, but it may not be in your lifetime. That's why your life is bigger than your lifetime and you live with that in mind and your faith can be bigger than your generation so you live with that in mind. They died and they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. In other words, they never saw them with their physical eyes but with their spiritual eyes by faith, they believed one day it will be worth it. 
One day it will all work itself out. We're just going to take responsibility today to do what we know we need to do, what is best, and we're going to trust the consequences to God. They saw it by faith. Abraham was told one day your descendants are going to be more than the sands of the seashore and more than the stars of the sky. And one day you're going to give birth to a nation which is going to bless all the nations. And one day one of your sons is going to bless the entire world. And he died and Isaac died and Jacob died and none of them saw it. None of them saw the promise. But they died believing that God was going to make good on the promise. They lived by faith. Even when in the listen to me, even in the moment when it didn't feel like it was worth it. There are going to be times when your faith is asking you to do what doesn't feel like it's worth it. It's too hard. It's too uncomfortable. It's too embarrassing. It's it's all these things. But faith believes it's going to be worth it even when it doesn't feel worth it. And it's going to work even when it doesn't seem like it's working. And so he goes on and he names some other people. And he says, some face jeers and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning and they were sawn in two and they were killed by the sword. They were going about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And the world was not worthy of them. Faith didn't feel like for those people that it was working out. This whole idea of faith is making life easier, that's not faith. It didn't feel like faith was working out for them. It didn't feel like faith was worth very much to them in those moments, but they stayed faithful even when it was most difficult, even when it required the highest price. And then he says, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. They didn't see the reward, but they believed there was a reward. They didn't see the fulfillment of the promise, but they believed that there would be the fulfillment of the promise. They believed that walking by faith would be worth it someday, one day. And they believed that walking by faith would be used by God and it would be worked for their good and for the good of others. And so the writer of Hebrews, we don't even know who it is, on the other side of Jesus, on the other side of the resurrection, he's writing to Christians just like us. He's writing to us. And he says, don't ever forget your life is bigger than your lifetime. Your faith can be bigger than your generation. What they were doing, all these heroes of faith, it was worth it. And it didn't always feel like it. It was worth it and it didn't always look like it. It was working. It was working. God was working. God was using their faith. Though they could not see it. But they lived by faith in their generation And it made a difference in future generations because here's what he says next. Since God had planned something better, for who? For us. They were living in the story of God in their generation and they decided we're gonna organize our life around this. We're gonna walk by faith and they had no idea that future generations my generation your generation the generation of your children and grandchildren the generations of centuries gone by and centuries yet to have happened yet they've gotten swept up in the story of God as well he connects the dots to say you know what what you're doing today it's bigger than your lifetime you have no idea what's out there you have no idea what's over the horizon. You have no idea how God may use your faithfulness today, tomorrow. You have no idea 
how God may use your faithfulness today to impact the future of faith. So for some of you parents who've walked away, you kind of got distracted, you've let things get too busy, you've let things get too chaotic and the values and the priorities have gotten turned upside down. Listen, today, let's not talk about yesterday. Let's talk about today. Today, start choosing life. Today, start walking by faith. Today, start looking to the future in faith, knowing that the choices that you make today, there's grace for yesterday. The choices that you make, there's grace for yesterday. Stop thinking about it. The choices that you make today can have consequences tomorrow. So come on back. Start doing things different today. Start organizing your life. Make the hard calls. Make the decisions. Have the conversations. Start making family culture different. Don't let everybody go to a separate room with a separate screen and nobody talks to anybody and nobody talks faith and nobody prays and nobody reads scriptures and nobody ever talks about anything like that. Hey, today is the day. Today is the day. You choose life today. You get back on course today. For church folks, You've been here for a while. It's normal now. It just doesn't phase you anymore. It's not special. The glitter's worn off. You know, it's, it's no longer a big deal. And you show up and you come in and you leave. And it's like, hey, you know, I love my church, but you know, you don't feel anything anymore. And you've kind of took a break from serving and six months turned into one year and two years and three years. And then you took a break from this and you took a break from that. Let me tell you what you need to do today. Today, you got to start choosing life again. You got to start organizing your life by faith because we need you to get in. We need you to start serving. We need you to start inviting. We need you to get active back in the kingdom of God in the local church. And then for those of you who are parents and you feel like you're doing the hard things, you feel like you're doing the uncomfortable things and you're organizing your life around faith, you're doing a good work and don't dare come down. You keep doing today because it's going to have consequences tomorrow. And so I came here today to tell our church here in London, Somerset and Williamsburg, what we are doing as families and what we're doing as a church, it is working and it is worth it. Even when it doesn't feel worth it and even when you can't see it always working, I'm telling you, it's going to be worth it and it is working already. Let me share this story with you to prove it. So back in December of 2015, my family was coming into town for um, what I thought was vacation. And my grandma came up to me and she hugged me and she whispered something. And my mom fell to the ground and my entire family was there was one person missing, and it was my dad. I just said, is he dead? And they just, they nodded and cried and, and tried to hug me, and I didn't want anybody to hug me. I ran outside, and I leaned down on the ground, and I just started crying. And then my uncle come to me, and I asked him what had happened. I thought maybe it was a car accident or something like that, but uh, my uncle informed me that my dad had taken his own life. So after my, my dad's death, I kind of distanced myself from everybody and I pushed people away. But luckily, that didn't last very long. And then things were good for the next couple of years. I mean, there were days where it was really hard. And then my senior year of high school, um, that's when things really changed. It started with thoughts of, you know, maybe I'm better off not being here. Maybe I'm better off if nobody would know who I was anymore. And then the thoughts got even worse. I thought that my dad's death was my fault. 
And I was angry at the people that tried to help me. I didn't care who I yelled at or what I said to anybody. All I knew that I wanted to do was just hurt everyone around me because I wanted to hurt myself so much. I hated myself. I didn't know who I was. I looked in the mirror and I, I saw a monster. I had taken my suicidal thoughts and turned them into planning out my death. I would write notes to people. I would sit at the end of my bed with a bottle of pills and just stare at the pills and wonder about if I should take my life just the way that my dad did and just swallow them all and just end it right then and there. And then I woke up one day and I decided this is the day. This is the day I'm gonna end it all. I couldn't even wait for that night. I had to just go ahead and do it then. I went to hop in my car and I was just gonna drive onto the interstate and get plowed. Um, I didn't care who I hurt. All I knew is that I wanted to die and, and it didn't matter who I took out with me. Thankfully, my girlfriend at the time was there. She asked me why I was acting the way I was acting. And for the first time, I admitted that I was ready to die. For my entire life, I never knew who God was. Um, I'd been to churches here and there, and I never stayed at those churches just because every church I'd ever been to gave me this negative image of what God is. I started attending the creek, and I loved it. When I would walk out of there, I would feel positive, and I would feel good, and then the moment that I would get home, and back to my bed, I would get right back to where I was. I was looking for God at that point, but I didn't know how to find him. I didn't. Until one Sunday, and it was during the Hide and Seek series, he was talking about addiction. He was talking about you no know, drugs and alcohol, of course, but he also was talking about the mental addiction to things. He asked us to bow our heads and, and raise our hand if, if we were struggling with any form of addiction. And then I decided to raise my hand. And when I raised my hand, the most overwhelming feeling came into me. My eyes flooded with tears, tears of joy. I was so happy, but I didn't know what I was happy about. In that very moment, God told me that everything was gonna be okay. Well, then the next Wednesday, I decided to go to Upfront. Oddly enough, the conversation was about suicide. In 2003, I was 16 years old, and I sat on my bed in the middle of the night and I was clenching a knife as tight as I possibly could clench it. And for the first time ever, the thought went in my head, that it's time to end it. Maybe this is your story. And if it is, I want you to listen closely to me tonight because I'm speaking to you from the other side of it. And I know how good it is. And I just knew I needed to be there. And that night I got saved and um, my life has totally been transformed, and I became happy, which was something that I never thought I'd be able to say again. Then I started asking if I could volunteer at the church. Next thing you know, I'm filling out an application, and I'm an intern with the Creek, and I get to work every day in this church. I get to see 
all the things that go into making this church what it is. And it makes me so happy that I'm a part of that. And now I'd like to become a youth pastor so that way I can help as many kids as possible. I see that so many of them are in the place that I was not so long ago. Looking back on it now, if I didn't have the church, if I didn't have the people that influenced me to go to church, if I didn't have any of those people, I wouldn't be here right now. I'd be dead. It took finding God to save my life. And it's so important that we reach out to the next generation and we help them discover who God is so that they know who they are, that they know that they are not this false label, they are not this anxiety, they are not this depression. They are a child of God and that that's the only thing that matters. It's worth it and it's working. And that's a story that reminds us just how powerful. When a family says, we're going to go to church. When a church says, we're with you. When the church decides we're gonna talk about some things. It's not easy to talk about. We're gonna do it for the sake of the future of faith. One of my favorite parts of that story is when we see Jared Adams preaching it up front. We did a story on We did a story on Jared back years ago. And he shared his story and he got very vulnerable about his life story. And this is where it all kind of comes full circle because in the early days There was a group of older people. That's all we had in our church, a bunch of older people who decided, you know what? Whatever it takes for the future of faith. And so, Pastor, we're gonna gonna do it different. We're gonna talk about some things in a way that maybe some folks may criticize us for. And we're gonna say this, but we won't say that. And we're gonna be a church where people who don't like church love to come. And Jared had a story of being bruised by the church and hurt by the church. And he came and shared his story. Jared serves on our staff today, and I don't know of anybody perhaps that invests their life more in the next generation than Jared. But if there hadn't been an older generation that said, we're gonna create a place, there wouldn't have been space for Jared to share his story, grow in his faith, become part of a staff and become part of a ministry to students that could talk about something and have Seth be there to say, you know what? Boy, I think I need what you're talking about. And then who gets baptized? And when you see Seth baptizing in those last shots, one of those is Seth baptizing his own sister. We're talking about the future of faith. We're talking about when the church gets this right. Are you kidding me? You tell me what else is important. When you live by faith, you believe it's gonna be worth it. And you believe it's working even when you can't see it. And that's why he closed it up by saying, since then, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race that has been marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand 
of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When you feel like you're wondering, is it gonna be worth it? And when you feel like you're wondering, is it working? You put your eyes on Jesus and you realize that your life is bigger than your lifetime and your faith can be bigger than your generation. And what you do today can ripple and echo into future generations. Jesus called 12 to follow him. Most scholars believe that many of them were just teenagers, Peter and John, James. After the resurrection, Jesus took those young guys out to the hillside and he said, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples. He put the future of faith in their hands. And he said, if there's going to be a future of faith, it's up to you. And today, he's putting the future of faith in your hands and in your hands and in your hands and our hands and my hands. And he says the same to us in our generation. If there's going to be a future of faith, What are you going to do to further faith into the future? Are you going to raise your kids different? Are you going to do some things different? As a part of the local church, are you going to get involved in kids' ministry? Are you going to get involved involved in student ministry? Are you going to find someone to mentor and to invest your life in? Are you going to take responsibility for the future faith of the next generation? Because one day, when you didn't think it was entirely worth it and you didn't even know if it was working, one day when a generation tells their story of faith, perhaps they will speak of ours. Heavenly Father, take your words and place them deep in our hearts. Help us to figure out what this means for us as families, as a church. Help us to be committed to the future of faith. To know that it's going to be worth it. It is worth it. To know that it will work. It is working. God, help us to take those steps that we need to take. As the future of faith rests in our hands. Please, Jesus, don't let it stay there.